Well, it is good to be with you this morning. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we are in the book of Daniel. We started the book of Daniel and we're talking about, we're talking about what it looks like, what it looks like to be a follower of God and living in a culture uh, that does not necessarily believe the same way that we believe. And we're going to continue in that this morning. And to get started, just to make sure that everyone's awake and we're all in the room together here, uh, we're going to play a little game, okay? I need everyone with me. I'm going to ask for full participation here, but I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. Let me tell you, if I was in your seat and someone was standing up here saying we were going to play a game, I wouldn't like that person either, okay? So I understand how you feel, but we're going to do this. It's rainy. It's cloudy. Uh, we're just going to, we're going to be in here together and play this game. Here's the game we're going to play. We are going to play a uh, somewhat rowdy but not out of control game of would you rather, okay? I don't know if you've played this game before, but here's how this is going to work. I'm going to ask you a question and you are going to get two choices. Now you have to land somewhere in the game. You can't, you can't not participate. Everyone has to choose a choice. And then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And I'm going to say those of you who select option A, raise your hand. And those of you who select option B, raise your hand, right? So I'll say option A and you'll raise your hand. Can we practice this? Can everyone raise your hand, please? Let's practice. Everyone knows how to do this, right? I see lack of participation back over here. That's all right. But everyone knows what we're talking about, okay? All right. So full participation, all right, here we go. Would you rather, would you rather play this game or not play this game? Here's a practice one, okay? Let's just tell me, just be honest with me. Let's start off with full honesty, right? How many of you want to play this game right now? You're into this, you're ready to go. Be honest with me, how many of you don't want to play this game at all right now? Come on, raise your hand, raise your hand. I, I know some of you don't want to play this game. That's all right, I would have my hand up with you. Here we go, first question. Would you rather listen to 70s music or would you rather listen to today's music? All right, how many of you would rather listen to 70s music? Who's in the room? You would rather listen to 70s music. Who would listen to today's music? Out of the two, all right, all right, interesting. How about this one? Who would rather read an awesome book and who would rather see an awesome movie? Those of you who are the awesome book, who is the awesome book? Awesome book, all right, awesome movie. Interesting, all right, pretty split. Some of you might be voting twice. I don't know how to prove that. I don't know how to prove that. How about this one? This might be a big one. Who, you'd rather make a phone call or send a text message? Who wants to make the phone call? Who wants to talk to someone on the phone? All right? And who's under 40? Just kidding. Who would send a text message, right? Who would send a text message? That's right. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. You know, when we start raising our hands for things, uh, and I'm going to skip the last few guys, when we start raising our hands for things, uh, and we start giving our opinion on things, something starts to happen, right? All of a sudden, we find out very quickly if we are in the room of a majority op opinion or a minority opinion, right? Some of us, when we play a game like that, uh, we stick our hands up in confidence, Right, we stick our hand, we think, this is what I believe, and I think everyone will be with me. Like, who would actually in this world rather make a phone call than send a text message, right? And so you stick your hand up for a text message, and you can't believe you know, how many people have a differing opinion or a differing perspective than you do. And there's something about being in the majority that feels nice and easy. 
And no matter how mature we get, or no matter how much we grow, it still is just nice sometimes to be a part of the majority, and not have to fight, and not have to feel like an outsider, and there's just something nice and warm and, and comfortable that feels like being part of the majority, and, but when we find ourselves of a minority opinion, whatever that is, I mean, even something as silly as, as 70s music or today's music, when we feel like we're in the minority, there is something uncomfortable about that. Some of you saw how many hands went up on the first option, and even though you were really a part of the second option, you didn't put your hand up at all uh, just because you knew that everyone had already answered the other way. Right? And some of us just answered differently than we would have otherwise because we just wanted to be a part of the group and not stand out. There's something that's difficult about being the minority opinion. Let me just say something that I think we all know and understand. I don't think I have to give you a statistic this morning. I don't think I have to give you any, any research about this. We certainly could, but my guess is that you already know that this is true. If you would rather give your worship to God than give it to something else, if I put up on the screen, how many of you would rather give your worship to God or something else? And you raised your hand and you said, I'd rather give my worship to God than give it to something else. You are in the majority in this room, I would guess. But you are in the vast minority outside of this room, right? We know that's true. And it's only becoming more true in our culture. If you're someone that would say, I follow Jesus with my life, I trust God with my life, and it's not just something that matters to me on two big holidays a year, this is something I truly live out day to day, week to week in my life, this matters to me, I look at this book, I think this book is true, I think this is God's word, I think it has something to say in my life. If that's your opinion, if that's where you land, if that's what you believe, that you would rather give your worship to God than anything else, then you are a majority in this room, but you are a minority in the world around us. And there is a certain pressure that comes with being in the minority, isn't there, when it comes to a belief like this. When you believe something and stand for something that other people around you don't believe in, there is a pressure that comes with this. And here's a truth that, that you and I probably already know, that if you worship God in this culture that by a vast majority no longer worships God, then you will feel pressure. If you worship God in a culture that does not, you will feel pressure pressure. And you feel this when you walk into your office and when you walk into your classroom, when you walk onto campus. Some of you are going to feel this when you walk into your house later today. You choose to worship God with your life. You choose to follow him. And because we live in a culture and a society that does not, there is pressure associated with that. And this morning, we are going to look at what I would consider the story when it comes to how to deal with pressure, cultural pressure, in the Bible. In fact, this is the place that most people would go. And if you grew up in church world, if you went to Sunday school, you had the flannel graphs, uh, then you know this story. You've heard this story over and over and over again, but it doesn't matter how many times you've heard it. God has something to say to you. It is the story of three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or if you grew up on Veggie Tales and it helps you, Rack, Shack, and Benny, right? 
and how they stood in the midst of immense pressure. Here's what happens. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are all living in an empire known as Babylon. They had no choice in this. They were living nice lives in Judah, and Babylon, this great massive empire, took over their people and assimilated them into the culture. If you missed the first two sermons, I'd encourage you to go on our website and listen to them. You can understand how that process took place. But now they're in this world where they used to live around a lot of people that believed the exact same thing they believed. They all worshiped the same God. And now here's Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, now stuck in this culture where nobody believes what they believe. And in fact, there's great pressure to abandon the belief in God. The king, in the beginning of chapter three, where we're we're at today, he sets up a giant image of himself. In fact, it's 90 feet tall and only nine feet in circumference. So something that would look like the Washington Monument, maybe a little thinner than that, but when it was set up on the plains of Babylon, this towering golden image that stood above everything else, And he commanded that when all the musical instruments played at a specific time of the day, everyone would hear the music and they would leave their jobs and they would leave their families and they would walk out of school and they would all, like maybe a scene out of the the book 1984, all just walk to this golden image and while the music was playing, every single person would bow down and they would worship the king. And Nebuchadnezzar wasn't saying, I want everyone to go from worshiping nothing to worshiping me. He said to the people something like, I want you to take all of the worship that you're giving to other gods and give it to me. And it's a similar pressure that those of us who follow God with our life experience on a day-to-day basis. This culture, this world is saying to us, take that worship that you are giving to your God, take that, that faith that you have in your God and give it to something else. And we're going to take a look today at how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond to the pressure And what happens to them? Take a look here. We're in verse 8 of chapter 3. And we're going to work through this together. So Nebuchadnezzar set up this statue. He's made this decree. And therefore, in verse 8, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree That every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? 
Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who, who is the God that will deliver you from my hand? You want to talk about pressure? Pressure to tr- follow God and believe in him when other people are not. Think about the pressure that, was, that Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego are up against. Everyone, like drones, when they hear this music, you ever heard bagpipes before? They're tough to miss. And we not only have bagpipes here, we got a whole nother list of instruments that are tough to miss, all playing together at once. And when the music came over the entire population, people would hear the music and stop what they're doing and start walking to that golden image. And then they would, with the thousands of people gathered, bow down and worship the image. Do you know what the pressure must have been on these three young Jewish men to bow and give their worship, not to the God who they grew up serving, but to this image and to this idol, how difficult, how tough can it be sometimes to raise your hand and say that you believe in something? Imagine being surrounded by thousands of people all bowing down and standing. When the leaders came and told on them to Nebuchadnezzar, it must have been incredibly easy to figure out who they were talking about. If thousands of people face down in the dirt and three rebels standing. And it wasn't just the pressure of, of being different and standing out among the crowd. The punishment of death in a fiery furnace was a real thing. In fact, most Scholars would say that that fiery furnace was visible. So you had the golden image. You had King Nebuchadnezzar set up watching the whole thing. And close by, you had the fiery furnace where the people that refused to bow would be thrown. And all of that is present. And they stand. In our world... If you give your worship to God when other people do not, at some point, you will experience pressure. And it's happening more and more. Just a few years ago, the CEO of Mozilla lost his job because he expressed his Christian beliefs. A couple years ago, a fire chief in Atlanta was fired over material that he wrote in a book for his men's group at his church. I know that there are students in this church that have put things on their social media consistent with their faith who have found themselves in their principal's office the next week. And even if those are not your experience, you and I know the the strain that's running through our culture. This thing that's out there that that everybody feels and that everybody says against those uh, who would follow Jesus Christ with their life and trust in God with all they have. And it goes something like this. Reasonable, intelligent, smart, open-minded people who love others, trust in the goodness of people and in their own intellect. Stupid people who are closed-minded and hateful believe in God. 
That's the narrative. You've felt that. I certainly have felt that. And that's enough pressure for many of us to start to cave, isn't it? That pressure is difficult. When we know that our family members and we know that our classmates and we know that our friends and we know that our coworkers, if they knew that we were here right now, would in their minds, even if they don't say it, in their minds, be writing a narrative about who we are and how weak-minded and, and dumb we must be to believe what we believe. This has become so large in our culture that that I would dare to say it this way. If you say that you follow God with your life and that you trust Jesus Christ and you go out into this world and you feel no pressure associated with that, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Either what you say you believe isn't really what you believe on a day-to-day basis or it's time that you get outside of your little circle and meet some people that don't think the way you think. But if you say you believe in God and you walk out these doors and you feel no pressure associated with that, something's wrong. And you ought to consider how deeply you believe this thing and how you're living it out because the pressure is real. So here's the big question. Because when the pressure came down on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were able to stand. So here's the question for you and for me. When the pressure comes, will you be able to stand or will you bow? How do you know? When the pressure comes, will you be able to stand or will you bow. A couple of years ago, maybe you remember this, there was a pedestrian bridge that was built in Miami that connected a community called Sweetwater, a neighborhood called Sweetwater, with Florida International University's campus. And the ironic thing was, this bridge was supposed to provide a measure of safety over uh, some very busy streets because many of the students lived in this Sweetwater community and needed to get to campus. Well, the bridge was built and it was innovative. And right after they built the bridge, they did a stress test on the bridge. And do you remember this story? It was just a couple years ago. The stress test so weakened the structure that it collapsed just five days after it was built. And unfortunately, six people lost their lives. The challenge, the challenge is you don't actually know whether you will stand or crumble until the pressure comes. We can say all we want that we believe in Jesus and we can sing the songs and we can, we can go to the camp and we throw our stick in the fire and sign the card and do all those things. But you don't know if you'll stand or bow until pressure is applied. What will happen then? How do you ready yourself? Well, I think there are indicators in our life things that we can check, things that we can look at what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did and things that they said that give us some indication as to where we stand currently. And I would say it like this. You want to know if you're going to be able to stand or if you're going to bow when the pressure comes. You need to be taking your faith pressure regularly. Just like you take your blood pressure, just like you check your tire pressure, you need to be checking your faith pressure regularly regularly. And there's two things you need to do. And we're going to take a look here at what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. And then we're going to talk about it. We are in verse 16. You remember Nebuchadnezzar's last question in verse 15? What God is going to save you from me? Look at how they respond. I love this answer. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to answer you. We have no need to answer you in this matter. What God is going to save you from me? Uh, King, we don't have to answer you, but we'll answer you anyway. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do two things here. There are two things you need to check in your life. You want to know where your faith sits, if you'll stand or if you'll bow? Check two things. First of all, check your resolve to obey the commands of God no matter what. Check your resolve to obey the commands of God no matter what. How easy would it have been for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to talk themselves into bowing? I mean, it's commandment number two of the Ten Commandments, right? You shall have no other gods before me. This is a big one. They went to Jewish school. They knew the rules. This is a big one. You shall have no other gods before me. How easy would it have been to talk themselves into it? They could have watched all the other people bow and they could have said to themselves, our God is a God of mercy and love and we're going to bow and then later he'll forgive us. They could have said, and this one's convicting to me, I know I've done this one. They could have said, we will bow, but God knows our heart. Man, I wish it would have been easier if they did that. (laughs) They could have bowed and they said, but God knows our heart. He knows that we really worship him. And so we'll bow on the outside because you know what? God's a God of love and he doesn't want us to experience any negative consequences for anything in this world. And so we will bow with everybody else, but God knows our heart and, and he knows that in the end, we really love and serve him. But they had resolved Not to break God's command. God said, don't do it, and they didn't. And the second thing that they do, the second thing that I have to check about myself and my own heart is not just my resolve to obey God's commands, but my willingness to trust two things, God's ability and God's will. I need to trust God's ability and God's will. In verse 17 and 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say something that I, need, I think needs to be the mantra of our lives as we take our faith into a world that doesn't believe. They say this, if this be so, our God can save us. Our God is able to save us and he will deliver us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to the king, our God is able to save us and he will save us. But if not, we're still not going to break his commands. We have resolved we are not going to break the commands of God. We trust in God's ability and his will. We know that God will save us. He is able. But even if he doesn't, see point one. We're not going to bow down to your altar or break his commands. It's not going to happen. And they trust not just God's ability, his ability to get them out of the fiery furnace, but they also trust God's sovereignty, his timing, and his will to do it how he wants. And this is a big thing. 
Because many people in our world and many people who are part of our tribe have said something like this to God. God, I will stand for you as long as you do the things that I want you to do when I want you to do them. So God, I will stand for you if you bring healing. I will stand for you if you bring provision, provision how I want you to. I will stand for you if you fix things in my life the way that I want them fixed. And we know that God is able, but we do not trust his will and his timing and his sovereignty. There is this thing that runs through the church and especially the charismatic Pentecostal strains that we are a part of, that if you're praying for something that God is able to do and it's not happening when you think it should happen, something's wrong with you. You don't have enough faith or you're not saying the words correctly. Listen to me, I think this is incredibly important. Just because God's not doing, in the timing, doing it in the timing that you want him to doesn't mean that he's not able And all you are responsible for is to continue to come to him and trust his ability and trust his timing. It's not about getting the words right and and fixing your faith. It's about continuing to come to him over and over and over again and trusting him over and over and over again and saying, just like Shadrach and Meshach did, I know God is able to do this, but if he doesn't do it, ultimately it's up to him. I have three young children. They're seven, four, and nine months old. And every once in a while, we'll do something special. Like, let's say it's school vacation week, like this week. We'll do something special. So we'll do something wild and crazy. I mean, something just insane, like stay up to 9.30 and have ice cream. Something just crazy, crazy, unbelievable. And so what happens is we'll have one night where we'll stay up till 9.30, you know, the, the middle of the night, and we'll have ice cream. And it's an awesome day. Do you know what happens the next day? They come back and, and they say, Dad, can, can we stay up till 9.30 tonight? And can we have ice cream again? And I say, of course, no. And you would, I would hope, I, would, I wish in my mind they're like the Von Trapp kids and they line up and they say to me, oh, Father, whatever you want is best. And, and, but what the reality is, is they're falling on the floor and kicking and screaming because they know, they know we have the ability to do it. They know that Lori and I have the ability to allow them to stay up to 9.30 and have ice cream every single night. But we don't necessarily do it on their timing and we trust And we expect that they will know that we know a little better than them when it's okay to do those things and when it's not. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead once. Not every time Lazarus died. And he did it then because it was for his glory and honor and to establish the power of his son. But he didn't do it every time. And I don't know why. But I trust God's will in it all. And I don't know why God does some things sometimes and doesn't do them other, other times, but it never shakes the faith that he is able and that he will. It's just on his time and not ours. And how many of us have had our faith crumble under pressure because we asked God to do something and we didn't like the timing or the way that he went about it. You can't just trust that God is able. You've also got to trust that he knows how to do it best.
And so you check your resolve to obey God's commands and you check your willingness to trust God's ability and his will. But here's what you're going to find as you go and check those things. You're not perfect in them and neither am I. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get it right this time. They didn't get it right every single time in their life and you and I don't get it right every single time either. And so what do we do? I want you to remember one thing about the God that you serve. And we see it right here in the story. King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't joking. He got so upset that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down. He made the furnace seven times hotter. In fact, it was so hot that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace, the fire consumed the soldiers who took them there. And watch what God does. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. You know how God saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? He put himself in the fire with them. Now, there are all sorts of theologians that want to talk about what this appearance is, this son of the God. Is it, is it Jesus appearing before his time on earth? Is it an angel? Is it something else? What we can be 100% sure of is God put his presence in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And God, no matter what happens in this world, has already put his presence in the fire for you. Let me tell you how he did it. God took his son, who was seated and throned in heaven, and sent him to this earth, a place that was broken and dirty and soiled, and he did what you and I cannot do on our own. He resolved to keep God's commands, and he actually did it. He resolved to trust God's ability and his will, and he actually did it. Do you remember Jesus in the garden before he went to the cross? Father, I know you have the ability to take this away from me. Father, I know you have the ability to take this cup away from me. But, not my will, but yours be done. He perfectly kept God's commands. He perfectly trusted God's ability and God's will and went to the cross and died and rose again so that you and I might be saved, not just here and now, but for all eternity. And no matter what happens in this world, no matter how much pressure you face in your life from your family or your friends or your classmates or your coworkers or the world in general, it does not change the reality that God has put himself in the fire for you and has given you a hope and a future and eternity through his son, Jesus Christ. Nothing can change that reality. And when we bow our knee to what this world wants us to worship, we are forgetting what the God of this universe has done for us. We are forgetting that the very worst thing that this world could do to us, which is kill us for our faith, only puts us in eternity with Jesus Christ who we serve. It's the worst thing that could happen to us and it puts us in the presence of God. And we forget that truth and we begin to bend and bow and break. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter what this world throws at you, you can say, even if he doesn't, because he already has. 
You can stand up to any pressure in this world because God has already shown you his love for you through his son, Jesus Christ. He has already shown you what he's willing to do for you. He has already provided for you life eternal and true life here and now. And we forget and this world brings pressure and sometimes it's severe as, as in other countries, people losing their life. And sometimes it's as, as juvenile as saying Christians are stupid. But it's enough. And all over in our culture, we are bending and breaking and bowing because we forget the savior that we have and the God that we serve. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning. A couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, Boeing, the airplane manufacturer, Boeing, they came out with a new material that they call micro lattice. And micro lattice was this unbelievable new material. It is, it is incredibly thin. In fact, one layer of micro lattice is thinner than a human hair. And you put it all together and you come up with a, a sheet of micro lattice and it is lighter than styrofoam. And in fact, as you can see in the picture, you can take micro lattice and set it on top of the white petals of a dandelion and it will not disturb them. That's how light it is. But it is stronger than titanium. It is extremely difficult to destroy. You can take micro lattice and you can set it on top of a dandelion and it won't disturb the petals, but you can build an airplane out of micro lattice and fly it miles above the ground and be perfectly safe. You know what we need in this culture today that we have, have very few of? We need some micro lattice Christians in our culture today. We need some people who believe in Jesus Christ, who serve God with their life, whose cores are softened by the mercy and the grace and the peace of God, who live a light life because of the burden of sin that has been lifted off of us and the grace that God has extended to us. But we need some believers who are tough as nails when they have to be. We need believers who are soft at the core and kind and loving and full of grace, but tough at the edges and willing to stand up for truth and not bow when the rest of the world tells us who we are to worship. Let me tell you something they're hard to find. It's getting harder and harder to find the believers in our culture who are willing to do this who are willing to be impacted by the grace and mercy of God, but stand up for the truth of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not hateful people. But they weren't about to bow and break the commands of God. Or think that just because they were facing pressure and punishment, that somehow God wasn't real and at work anymore. Where in your life is the pressure of this world causing you to lose your faith and to become soft when it comes to truth? You 
see some of you sitting here this morning, God has not acted the way you want him to act when you wanted him to do it, and it's causing your life to buckle. You say, God, I want the healing. I want you to figure out my kids. I want you to figure out my marriage. I need the provision. And God has the ability to do it. He is able to do it all, but he has not yet delivered on your timetable and your faith is starting to buckle. Would today be a day that you check your faith pressure and you resolve not to break God's commands, not because you're super strong, but because you are empowered by the spirit of God to live this way. You resolve to break God, not to break God's commands and to trust not only his ability, but also his will in your life. And some of you, you know you're leaving this place today and you're walking back into a pressure cooker. You're going back into your house where you're the only believer. You're going back into your workplace where you're not allowed to talk about this. You're going back into your classroom where if you spoke up about this, the professor or the teacher would lead the rest of the classroom and laughing you out of the room. Don't you forget what God's done on your behalf. He has not left you alone. He has put himself through the fire. He has given you his spirit. And if you will stand for him, then the God who is able will deliver you. I don't know what that looks like, but God will deliver you in this life or the next. So will you stand? Yes, full of grace. Yes, full of mercy. when it comes to the truth. I'm going to invite you to stand right now. If you would, stand to your feet and just bow your head and close your eyes with me. We have this opportunity to respond together this morning and some of our leaders are going to be available at the front of the room. Some of our leaders will be up here. They want to pray with you. They want to talk with you. And I'm also going to allow you to come to this altar. Listen, if you are walking into a place where you know you are facing pressure to bend and to break, then the Spirit of God is available to you to walk with you and empower you to live the life that God calls you to live. So take advantage of this time to come and to kneel at the altar and to ask God for his strength and empowerment for you. And maybe you're waiting on God to do what you know he is able to do. Come this morning and spend time in his presence. Put it at his feet and say, God, would you do it? Would you bring the healing? Would you bring the provision? Would you bring the restoration? But I trust that you will do it when it is right. God, we we admit to you today, it is hard. It is hard to stand for you. It is hard to stand for truth in a world where people worship something other than you. But God, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you empower us to go and live the life that you call us to live? Would you make us people who are soft because of your grace and full of your love, but strong when it comes to your truth and willing to stand even under pressure? Move among us this morning. In Jesus' name.